Page Exit here. Thanks again for stopping by. If you're new to the channel, my name is Riley and I'm a former Jehovah's Witness. And today I am chatting with Johnny Halfhead, who is an XJW author, and we are going to be discussing his book, The 1975 Apocalypse. So hi, Johnny. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. That's all right. Uh, it was a pleasure. It was really good doing the last, uh, uh, the, um, the Grace book. So, yeah, it'd be good to do another one. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this as well. So, viewers, thank you also for joining in. And this is the book that we're going to be discussing. As I said, it's called The 1975 Apocalypse. And Johnny, if you could just talk us through the uh, premise of the book, please. Oh, right. Um, it's uh, about 1974, uh, and there's a, a couple who get together who are Jehovah's Witnesses. They meet each other, and they get married. And basically, uh, the premise is that they they know about 1975 and the prediction of 1975 and Armageddon being on the doorstep and it's uh, it's a little bit about their lives leading up to the October of 1975 and the uh, the build-up of what is seen as Armageddon coming um, and also about a, a very poor domestic relationship between the two protagonists. Um, uh, one becomes uh, a circuit overseer and an elder um, and uh, the poor lady in the story suffers from domestic abuse, um, which is at the uh, at the centre of the story. Thank you. That's great. Thank you very much for that. Um, as I was reading the book, um, it struck me that there are a lot of themes in the book that are very, very common in real life. Although the book is is it's fictionalised. They're, uh, the, you know, the, the, the two main protagonists uh, are fictional characters, but they're very much living lives that are typical of many Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, did you draw on any real life experiences to, to, uh, for inspiration for your characters? Um, in the same way that uh, we talked about the offence of grace and being in the JW meetings, the ex-JW meetings, and hearing people's experiences, uh, it's a similar kind of thing. Um, you know, you sit and you talk to people and you listen um, of people who've come out of the Jehovah's Witnesses and some of the harrowing stories that they have gone through. Um, and although it's obviously none of my stories are based on anybody at all, uh, it goes into a, a pool of shared experiences that I, I pick up, that I, you know, take from. Um, and yes, um, the domestic abuse within the witnesses is so harrowing. Um, it's so acute, um, that I, I felt that if I had the opportunity to fit that in, um, that I should do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I can see that. You, you stuck very closely to the source, well, quote-unquote source material, which, you know, if, if, if we take the, the life ex and experiences of many Jehovah's Witnesses as source material, I mean, you, you stuck very closely to that. And 
as a Jehovah's Witness or as a former Jehovah's Witness myself and any former Jehovah's Witness reading that book, it wouldn't seem foreign to them. They'd be able to identify immediately, you know, um, commonalities in either their own experiences or experiences that they're aware of, which I thought was was really good. Um, I, I imagine it couldn't have been easy to do that while still keeping it as, you know, a, a fictional story. Um, well, I mean, obviously, the main story is the the coming of 1975 and the of Armageddon, the immediacy of Armageddon, and that was the main story. Um, but I wanted to interweave other things into it if I could get them in um, to just say something about 1975. I think on its own uh, wouldn't wouldn't give much depth when there's op- yeah. opportunity to explore the characters as well. Um, yeah. I have known elders that are very much career elders, uh, like the character. Um, and I've also talked to people. I mean, this it's that thing again, isn't it? When somebody tells you about abuse they've suffered, how, how do you, what do you say to that? You know, what do you say to somebody who's telling you those experiences? You can't, you certainly can't call them a liar. They're not lying. Um, simply because of that, you know, you can see the hurt when they're telling you uh, of their experiences. Um, and the fact that you hear them, hear the same story so often, um, a lot of the things that I've put in there are, are things you, re- you hear repeated over and over again from people. You know, and it's, it's really sad to think that that still goes, you know, still happens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that I found particularly interesting was, uh, as you mentioned, like 1975 and the build-up to that is like the, the meat and potatoes of the story. But then you have these other like subplots, so to speak. And one of those is about um, the, uh, the, the, the male character, Brother McPherson, and he's um, jockeying for position and on, on the um, body of elders and trying to like in a political way, ad- advance up the ladder. And I, I thought that was a really interesting subject to, t- to touch on. It's not something that we hear a lot about in the XJW community compared to a lot of other things mm. that are often spoken about, like the child abuse and the uh, domestic abuse. But could you um, you know, um, elaborate a little bit on that and where that came from? Uh, I think I was quite lucky uh, to have lived in a period so... I was a witness between 1970 and 1990. And I think in between that period, there was so much change between some of the old fashioned Jehovah's Witnesses uh, and some of the, the more, the newer Jehovah's Witness organization, um, like political people. I think to begin with, it was less political. It was a lot more honest. Um, and you could see the political powers changing in those 20 years that I was there. Um, I saw so much change in such a short space of time with political jockeying, basically. Um, and it's a shame. It's such a shame because there were genuine people uh, who were seriously trying to help and they were just getting pushed aside. And it was really sad to see, you know, there are always plenty of genuinely loving and warm elders out there um uh, and there must be 
there must be a lot of them seriously questioning where they are and what they've seen. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, no doubt. So the majority of the book is written as a diary. So it's like the diary entries from the two main characters. And so it was it was really it was a very interesting perspective to see them telling their story from from a first person point of view. It was like um, and listening to an internal monologue, kind of. So where, where did you get the idea to approach it that way? Uh, that was because I had to I had to kind of figure out my end point with uh, Armageddon and going through Armageddon. And I wanted to go from there and somehow get back to the beginning. Um, so that's that's the reason I chose that method. Um, there's a twist in the tail, isn't there? Um, yeah. And, yeah. And because of that, and because of that, that's why I did it in that manner. Uh, because I wanted to make sure that that would work convincingly. So I, I did it through the two diaries of the main prota protagonists. Yeah, yeah, and I, I thought that was a really, really clever way of a, of approaching the story. Um, there's a lot there to identify with in both of the characters. You know, whether you're a male or female, whether you're a, or an elder or just a regular publisher, there's there's a lot to identify there with because because it's a because they're diary entries. The characters are free to speak their mind and express their thoughts without any kind of filter. Or restraint and we've all been there you know as as jehovah's witnesses we've all had doubts we've all had um thoughts that we wouldn't express openly to anyone else so seeing somebody else's thoughts you know expressed in the same way there's a lot there to to resonate with anyone who reads the book yeah again i think using a diary helps me uh help me be able to do that because like you say even with friends, even with close friends, I think within the witnesses, you'd be scared to tell anybody else the way that you feel. Whereas at least with a diary, uh, there's more honesty and openness with a diary. Yeah. So I, I was able to, you know, draw on that and use that as an excuse to get around the way Yeah, people were thinking and the characters were thinking. Yeah. yeah. It, it was a really brilliant approach, a very, very, very clever and brilliant approach. You know, and I think um, anyone reading this will, will definitely, definitely, without a doubt, identify with a lot of what is expressed there, even in some of the more um, unsavoury elements of the story. You know, I'm sure if we're all honest with ourselves, that you know we can identify with some of those things. Again, it's it's the same with the uh, offence of grace. It's it's about finding the right balance, I yeah. suppose, uh, and it's not. I wouldn't say it's easy at all to do that. Um, you don't want to be too explicit and frighten people off, but you've also got to be honest and truthful about things that you've heard and, you know, well, yeah. not, not specific things, but in the, in the way that you've heard things and the stories that you've heard repeatedly. Um, yeah, and you need to put that detail in, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned that you were in the organisation from 1970 to 1990. So you were around um, in the build-up to, to 1975. Do you remember what it was like at all then, depending on how old you were at the time? I'm not going to ask you to reveal your age, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> if you were old enough in, to remember. I was born in 1970. So oh, right. Okay. So, I, so I wouldn't be old enough to know. No. Right, right, 
but it is interesting uh, looking back uh, when you look at your own life and you see perhaps things that have changed in your own life and you wonder, oh, I wonder if it had something to do with that. So my my mm. parents split up, I think it was in 1978. Um, and I do remember as a child, things for a couple of years uh, were probably going sour uh, between my mother and my father. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if that if 1975 played a role in that. I wouldn't be surprised at all. The timing of it is, yeah. yeah. Only looking back, you think, oh, yeah, I wonder if that had something to do with it. Yeah, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all. And it, it's it's um, interesting that you should mention about, you know, your own experience with your parents breaking up because um, with the two main characters in the story who are a married couple, you can definitely see how the build-up to 1975 impacted on their relationship and the and you know and, and how that that all unfolded and that was before 1975 came so it doesn't surprise me at all that in the aftermath of the you know the 1975 disappointment that it would have had an impact on many many relationships in a, in a negative way as well it is interesting talking to some older xj you know jehovah's witnesses um that witnessed that period you know and they all of them tell you how much it was prominent and in the forefront, no matter how much, you know, the Watchtower Society might say, you know, oh, we didn't really have any, you know, say anything about it at all. And it was all hearsay <laughs> and word of mouth. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I'm uh, the people, if you talk to the people that were there, you know, they were very much nearly 90% certain that it was going to happen. It was so prominent in the whole Jehovah's Witness society at the time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I myself, I've spoken to many uh, witnesses who were around at the time and who were old enough to remember what it was like. And they, they say exactly the same thing. It's, it's not a case of it was just like rumours and whispers and a few brothers here and there, you know, um, putting the cart before the horse and getting carried away. It was, it was a message that was coming very, very strongly from the from the top down mm. yeah um yeah uh, and you can see you know quite a few videos online that show proof of you know where it was uh, it was actually in printed word you know it wasn't just hearsay um and mm. a lot of people I, th I think a lot of people had the faith that it was very very possible but I also do remember people saying, oh, well, you should never have been drawn in because nobody knows the date and the hour and, you know, that quote. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think the, uh, a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people sold their houses and sold the cars and went into debt. And, yeah, they did some horrific things. Yeah. Th yeah. Thinking yeah. that 1975 was actually going to be, yeah, was going to be there. and Yeah. I mean, that, that scripture of no one knows the date and the hour, I mean, that's all well and good, but the organisation is such an authoritative one, and it's such, I mean, the atmosphere of the organisation, I mean, even now, or at least when I was last in, which was only two years ago, was that you follow the leadership without question. Even if what the leadership say, says is contrary to what's in the scriptures, mm. you know, so if, if at 90, you know, in, in the 
run up to 1975, the message is coming strongly that 1975 will be the end. Forget about not knowing the date and the hour. I mean, most witnesses aren't really going to have that in their mind. They're going to have in their mind what is coming from the platform when they go to the meeting on a Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was. I grew up as well with you know my mum telling me that you must go to every single meeting because mm. at one meeting somebody will make an announcement, um, and that's not you know in in line with nobody knows the day or the hour, is it? You know, yeah. but I, I know it's a con it's just a controlling thing, uh, but yeah. that was the general attitude with everybody. You don't miss a meeting because that could be the one where they announce that you know the end is starting exactly exactly and it was interesting in in the book um there was a time i think we were around about early 1975 or late 1974 in the timeline of the story that the the witnesses were told to prepare provisions and like um, emergency kits and bags and bring all of this stuff to the kingdom hall and reading that reminded me of a few years back, probably about 10 years ago, when we, we all had these instructions to prepare go bags. So it was like at a midweek meeting, there was a kingdom ministry and we said that we had to prepare go bags. And they even told us the kind of things that we needed to put in it, like tin food, flashlights, batteries, and prepare for an emergency. So do, do you think that this kind of message is like um, cyclic, like every every few years or so they'll just like ramp up this excitement and expectation just to keep you thinking that that the end is near i i was so i did not know uh about the go bags i thought somebody was making that up when somebody really? told me about it i could not believe that they were doing something like that um it is i find that really frightening there are people that I know that if the Watchtower said take up arms, they would take up arms. They would not question it at all. So to do some of these things, to do things like go bags and, you know, have people, I just think it's a step. It's, it's that step that just seems one little bit too far. You're really starting to damage people psychologically when you're starting to do something like that. Um, yeah, I, I found that so harrowing. I couldn't, I had to go and do the research to check up what somebody was telling really? me. I could yeah. not believe that the go bag were, was a thing to the point that I actually, I did actually have a, an old friend that I have a little bit of contact with, uh, that I got in touch with and just asked him cause he was still a witness and I asked him if the you know, the go bags were a thing. And he says, oh, yes, yes. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to be given such yeah. guidance? And I was, oh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, it, it it knocked me down. It really did. Um, it, it's quite shocking, the, the control that they have and how much they can flex it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's just take a short break for some comments. So, Producer Bob is somewhere in the background. <laughs> we just put up some comments, please. Thank you. So, Anita, hi, Anita. Uh, Johnny, did you know personally any domestic abuse cases in your congregation? Hi, Anita, by the way. I know Anita. Hello. <laughs> She's great, Anita is. Um, yeah. Um, 
I heard of some. I didn't know any directly. I did have a distant aunt that was that suffered from a broken arm from domestic abuse. Wow. Um, she had her arm in a pot, and I remember her talking to my mother about it um, and not being able to get anything firm from the elders to stop the abuse that was happening to her. Um, but apart from that, um, you hear, I think you, you find out more when you leave rather than when you're actually in it. Um, mm. There's so much going off, so many undercurrents going off underneath the surface that unless you're an elder, I suppose, you're not going to get to know a lot of things. And there are a lot of rumours all the time, but, yeah, yeah rumours aren't always necessarily true. Yeah, yeah, true. I mean, my, my experience is, is similar to what you've, you've um, expressed. I, I, I can't, off the top of my head, think of any cases that I particularly aware of but since leaving that's a whole whole different ball game yeah okay another comment from anita yes it's the domestic abuse chapter got um got to me as i sadly knew of some jw sisters going through abuse and the elders telling them they need to be more submissive yeah uh, that, that is a, a very very common thing that i've heard many many times it's, it's more of the fact as well that, I mean, it must be horrible as an elder to feel helpless mm. because basically the instruction given to elders is you should not interfere. It's an internal matter between a husband and his wife. Um, and you ju it just, I've heard the comment say, well, at least your husband will be dealt with when Armageddon comes. Mm. That's that's, yeah that's not an answer at all is it while you're suffering um to the level that some people are suffering it's just it's hard to put into words how awful that is mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, absolutely uh, do we have any more comments thank you uh john robinson says my mother bought new carpets for the house on credit, thinking she would never have to pay for it. <laughs> uh, no, I will say I've, I've heard of people selling the houses, um, yeah. you know, buying cars on credit. Um, it's just crazy some of the things that people, because they were so sure that it was it was going to happen in 1975. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard of people um, doing, doing, you know, uh, taking out huge loans, thinking that they wouldn't have to sell it and pay it back. You know, moving into camper vans and just traveling around preaching. You know, I even heard of one one person who was offered a contract with Major League Baseball. That he turned down. Goodness yeah. me! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, another comment from just around the corner. I remember, I remember that time well. If a rank and file member had stated categorically that it wouldn't take place, they would have been ousted. That's interesting. It's a, it's a perfect scenario, isn't it? This is um, this is what you find incredible about the level of control. Um, it's so perfect. It's I always liken it to Christmas. You know, you cannot say anything bad against Christmas because if you do, you're a Scrooge. Yeah. 
yeah. it's genius. You know, the people who put the modern day Christmas together are fantastic. They're so clever. Um, people are frightened not to celebrate Christmas, not to celebrate it. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but it's the same thing with the witnesses. You, you cannot. Yeah. Um, even though it was supposedly not set in stone. Yeah. To question it would have been apostasy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you, do you get the feeling that the governing body were kind of like hedging their bets like trying to, 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 in a way, be non-committal just in case. Oh, yeah, why definitely. Yeah. Pushing the message that it was going to happen, but leaving enough, leaving enough wiggle room so that if it didn't happen, they could say, well, we didn't categorically say it was going to. Yeah. You still see it even now, don't you? Uh, with the announcements from the governing body that we are very much in the end of the end. You know, and yet nobody, nobody will give a date. Nobody will say, oh, it's within 10 years or it's within the next, you know, five years or anything like that. It's like, no, no, it's just, it's something obscure. I, they yeah. probably learned a valuable lesson, the Watchtower Society, from 1975 to never yeah. go down that narrow again with their promises. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And that's why I think, I mean, I've said this before on, on uh, previous videos that so the witnesses believe that at the start of the Great Tribulation, the message that they preach is going to change and it's no longer going to be a message of, of hope. It's going to be a message of judgment. I don't believe that they'll ever issue that instruction to change the message in the preaching because there'll be no coming back if they do that and it no. doesn't happen. Just <laughs> do that, that, that directive and say, okay, we're changing our message now. It's no longer about hope for the new system. It's you're all screwed. <laughs> if Armageddon doesn't come after they've made that change, there's no way they can go back. So I don't think that message will ever come. I no. don't think they'll ever change that. I, like I say, I think they've learned a few lessons to never you know, repeat history. I mean, that was it 1919 where one of the big assemblies said millions now living will never die. Exactly. You know, and I, I think there's what 400,000 people left from that period yeah. is, <laughs> you know, you can go back to a very, you can go back in print and say, well, that didn't happen. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. <laughs> So going back to the book, and thank you everyone for your comments. If you have any more, please feel free to just put them in the uh, uh, chat box and we'll have them displayed. So going back to the book, it's very much written in two halves. So like just over halfway, everything changes. And I'm trying to not reveal too much for anyone who hasn't read it. But um, I found it very, very interesting the way that you explored what what it would be like in the aftermath of Armageddon. You kind of explored those topics. The reason why I find that particularly interesting because while I was waking up, I mean, I was newly woken up. I didn't believe in it anymore, but even though I didn't believe it anymore, I still felt that the JW's interpretation of Armageddon and the new system made sense biblically. And then I had a conversation with 
with my girlfriend and I explained to her what witnesses believe about Armageddon and the new system and the resurrection of the unrighteous and the righteous. And she was like, that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. <laughs> and then as she explained to me why it doesn't make any sense, it was like my eyes were open and I started to see all of the, it was like watching a movie that you're really, really enjoying and then somebody comes and highlights all the plot holes that you just didn't see. And, then once they're done, <laughs> and now you see all the plot holes, you're like, this movie's ridiculous. <laughs> and um, so a lot of the, the topics that you explored in like the aftermath of, of the Great Tribulation and Armageddon were like exp exposing those plot holes. And so I, I found that really, really interesting. And I think it will be particularly interesting for anyone who's physically out, but mentally in, or, um, or, even, physic uh, or even physically in, but mentally out, mm. to, to, to read those and explore those and to, and to really grasp and understand why this, understand, this interpretation that the witnesses have, just, it, it's just nonsensical. And because it's nonsensical, how could it come from how could it be inspired from the almighty God? Uh, it's, I cannot believe that while I was in uh, the witnesses that I never thought of the nuts and bolts of Armageddon. <laughs> For, I don't know. I, don't, I think in myself, uh, I was brought up to distrust myself so much that I never, act, I thought that even when I was a witness, I was going to die at Armageddon anyway. Um, I, I find it wonderful in a way that the, I see some ex-witnesses that say, oh, I've lost that hope, not hope, but that knowledge that I'm going to live forever and I'm not going to now. I never mm. had that because I always thought I was going to die at Armageddon. No matter what I did, I was never going to be good enough. So I suppose mm. I never thought about the consequences of how the whole concept of Armageddon would actually work. And that's only something more recently that I've I've thought about. Um, and yeah, and that's what I've put in, into the book is how do the nuts and bolts of this all work? You know, it's, I find, I do find it amazing that even if you follow the story that you believe is going to happen, who's going to do all the clearing up? Mm -hmm. You know, who's going to clean everything up is all of a sudden, you know, there's a, a kind of subconscious belief that God's going to click his fingers and all of a sudden you'll be cuddling tigers and lions, yeah. you know, in a beautiful paradise with loads of, you know, well-cultivated flowers and well-built houses. Um, yeah. And although that's the literature and the nice pictures, the witnesses don't actually tell you that. The Watchtower don't actually tell you that that's what's going to happen immediately after Armageddon. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. I'm a hundred percent convinced. Well, speaking from my own experience, you know, as sort of, sort of like a, a yardstick, when I was a witness, I didn't even contemplate the practicalities of the JW interpretation of Armageddon and the new system, and you know, the paradise, and. I think that the, 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 the narrative that the organization builds up around that, that topic, it just appeals to emotion. Mm. That's all it does. It just appeals to your emotion. You know, you know, lush green foliage, flora and fauna. Everyone gets a pet panda. 
you know, <laughs> sitting on a park bench eating watermelons, you know, these are all things that just, and seeing your dead loved ones as well, which is a huge thing that, that you know, you can't overlook. It, it's, it's just, it's all emotional. Mm. So this belief in the, in the new system and the paradise is all emotional that nobody thinks about the practicality of getting there and what, what it's going to take. So I thought that it was really, really um, great. And uh, I can't think of the word, but <laughs> it, was it was really good to, to read that in the book and to see that you took some time to explore those things. And I think that those will be very, very powerful topics to help someone waking up. I wanted, to, I wanted people, anybody to read it and to think... Uh, like, because I'd not thought about it. Why didn't I spend yeah. all that time thinking about it? How, why didn't I spend years afterwards not thinking about it? Um, it? It was only been in the last few years that I've realised that what Jehovah's Witnesses are talking about is mass genocide. Yeah. For some reason, it just never clicked to me that, in a way, there are you know there are a group of fascists that thinking and uh, dreaming about a day where they can wipe out every other culture on the earth, mm. and that's that's it's extremely disturbing. Um, and for, why don't we? When we're in there, why don't we think like that? Why don't we see that reality? Mm. I think to. to Put it simply and plain because we were brainwashed mm. and and that's what that's what it is i mean if you pardon an expression the devil is always in the details <laughs> <laughs> but we're not encouraged to look at the details we're encouraged to just look at a very you know emotionally appealing overview you know wouldn't that be nice wouldn't you like to see your your nan again you know wouldn't you like to see a time when you don't have to be scared about walking down the street you know, wouldn't you like to see a time where um, the environment isn't under under threat? It's all of these like appealing to the emotions, but nothing appeals to the reason. So you just literally don't think about those things. You don't think about how it's going to work. Um, you know, what what kind of things will have to be put in place to actually get there? You, you just think about all of the the nice side of it. Um, but that's that's one of the valuable things about waking up is that your eyes are open to that the other side now and that you really do see that none of it actually makes any sense. No. I wanted to I want to get I want to prod people's conscience and just say, have you thought about yeah. it? Just, <laughs> yeah. just gently prod them and just say, come on, just just think a little bit about it. Because if you think a little bit, the house of cards will fall. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that came across very strongly that you were appealing to the re reason's sense of morality. You know, forget about having a pet panda, forget about, you know, eating watermelon all day. <laughs> what it's going to take to get to that new system, is it morally justifiable? And I think that that's something that all witnesses need to honestly, you know, how they're always saying, oh, honest-hearted ones. <laughs> but they're, they're, any, they're anything but... Um, but yeah, if, if, if witnesses honestly thought about that, you know, do you want to live in a world that is literally, and I mean quite literally, built on top of the bones of billions and billions of people so that you can have a pet panda, you know? Yeah. And can you justify that morally? You just, and 
I think what a lot of people, a lot of witnesses, I've heard a lot of witnesses say that, you know, it's not just Jehovah's Witnesses that will get through. You know, it's, you know, anybody with a good heart, you know, uh, God can see into the heart. So that's, you know, that they're the ones that will get through. And yet, when you look at the publication of the Watchtower, they explicitly and numerously yeah. say that actually you have to be a baptized Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, over and over and over again, the publications say that. Most witnesses, that's, that's where the cognitive dissonance comes in. Mm. Because the witnesses yeah. that say, well, it's not going to be only Jehovah's Witnesses will survive. Jehovah will look at everyone's heart condition. They're the ones that really deep down know that it isn't right or fair or morally justifiable. They know that, and that's why they make that mental workaround. <laughs> but that workaround that they, that they they do in their head to try and reconcile it, it's very different from what comes from the governing body in the publications. The, 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 the governing body in the publications don't say that Jehovah's just going to look at everyone's heart condition and then make a judgment whether they survive or not. It doesn't say that. No. It says you're not a Jehovah's Witness, you won't survive. No. Yeah. yeah. It's but, very, very simple and very straightforward. And, and and it hurts sometimes to think that people think that we're just having a go, you know, that we're just bitter ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, that are just having a go. And we're not because we were those people as well. We yes. were those people that didn't stop and think um, and didn't actually – take in what we were being told thoroughly properly yeah. um it's remarkable how you find the ability to read a watchtower without actually reading it yeah it's something that's probably ruined my love of literature i can't read very well at all i can physically read well but i skim i mm. skim and don't take things in and that's because of many years of reading the Watchtower and reading the Bible and having to read it and not taking any of it in, just skimming it, just skimming over the top and getting the gist. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's almost as if your sense is adult. Mm. Yeah. Like um, I have my own experience of that with the article that said that the governing body are neither infallible or inspired. I mean, I was a active JW when that article was released I must have read it at some point, <laughs> but the, the, the full weight and implication of that statement went completely over my head as if I, it's as if I read it without digesting it, you know, and even after I'd left the organization, somebody pointed it out to me and it, it still didn't resonate with me what the implications of those words actually were. It's only after I woke up that I was like, hold on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> This is huge. <laughs> and yet if in the Watchtower study, if you'd have stood up in the middle of a meeting and made a comment about those exact words and explained what those exact words meant, you would have probably been taken out and, you know, disciplined for apostasism. Oh, absolutely. There's no, no doubt about it at all. No two ways about it. So let, let's uh, break here and take some more comments, please, if you would, Producer Bob. Oh, and this one comes from producer Bob. Oh. My dad used to tell me that we wouldn't have electric because no one would man the power plants. I used to think how rubbish it would be without lights. 
that's a very, very interesting comment because you touched on that in the book as well, the lack of infrastructure. Yep. After Armageddon. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and ag again, it's it's something you just don't think about. Um, one of the interesting parts is if you take away some people's greed and political motivation, and if you're in a world that's socially equal, then nobody really wants to attain anything. And if nobody wants to attain anything, then you're not really going to get any technological breakthroughs. So... Everything yeah. that you need to probably, well, if to save time or infrastructure or things like that, the vast majority of it is just not going to happen in that scenario. And yeah. again, it's yeah. just another thing you just don't think about. It's all right to see all these, you know, lovely uh, pictures with, you know, lovely wooden houses, you know, built in the countryside. Who's going to build them? Yeah. Exactly. There's no, no electricity, nope. you know. Where, where is all of this going to come from? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. And Jay Wallaby789 says, essentially, witnesses have a political way of living. I think it's best described as tribal communism. They do anything for each other, but it's only their organizational status that grants them. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. Actually, on, on that point, on Twitter recently, somebody posted some pictures of um, North Korean propaganda. Some of the pictures from, from their, like, uh, from the government's pamphlets and stuff. They look almost identical to the Jehovah's Witness brochures. They look like, the, the pictures look like they were painted or, or drawn by the same artist. There's I don't know. If you've ever been to uh, in, uh, a tour of Berlin, um, when you go around Berlin, you've obviously got the east side and the west side. Um, and when you go around the east side of some of the government buildings, there are huge paintings. There are huge, like, propaganda paintings uh, of the Russians that, you know, that they've painted on the whole a yeah. huge mural on the side of a, a building. Uh, and you look at that, and as soon as I saw it, I nearly fell off my feet. I couldn't believe it. It looked exactly like a Watchtower publication. Yeah. It was like, yeah. that's just really strange. <laughs> it's as though, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the witnesses have plucked, you know, some communist propagandists and, you know, said, oh, can you do us some pictures, please? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And I'm, I'm certain, well, almost certain that there's a very – intricate psych psychology behind all of that behind even the the artistry you know the the drawings and the colors i'm sure that there's there's some kind of psychology that is being implemented there you know just like it is in in these oppressive um you know political regimes it wouldn't be surprising would it at all um it would uh, it'd be interesting to see i've always wondered why the watchtower society have never moved on to proper photographs you know they do yeah. like their painted pictures and drawings um um i suppose it's probably down to cost perhaps that to actually yeah. get somewhere really nice and to set everything up the way that you want to would cost quite a bit but yeah there must be some power more power in a hand-drawn or hand-painted picture that they are maximizing that propaganda mm -hmm. on yeah yeah 
it, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Okay. John Robinson, if any of it was true, it would mean that each JW would have to bury almost a thousand bodies each. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's exactly where my thought processes went. It was like, how are you going to get from this, you know, condition of going into a kingdom hall, boxing it up, and then Armageddon coming, and then we're coming out of that box, you know, to a paradise. It's, you know, I wouldn't expect, there's nothing in the Jehovah's Witness publications that said, as soon as you come out of that kingdom hall, it's going to be a paradise. There's yeah. nothing there at all that says that. Yeah. I mean, from what I can remember, I mean, I was always taught that we would turn the earth into a paradise. So presumably, presumably that would include clearing away all of the um, death and destruction. Yep. I mean, um, recently, I and can't if remember... Time's, and if time's not an issue, what does it matter if it takes 100 years to do? It doesn't, does exactly. it? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I can't remember what why I did this, but recently, I, I can't for the life of me remember what this was all about, but recently I, I Googled how long it takes to, to dig a grave. <laughs> and it takes... <laughs> <laughs> it would take two two adult people to dig a, a standard grave. It would take about seven hours, and I was really shocked by that. I was really shocked by that. I didn't think it would take that long. So just imagine how long it would take. I mean, speaking hypothetically, I, I don't think that every individual, you know, dead person at Armageddon is going to get their own individual grave if that even was a thing. But let's just say for the sake of argument that, you know, Armageddon is, is a thing. They'll probably just bury people in mass graves. But still, how are they going to do that without electricity, without modern machinery? Mm. You know, it doesn't it doesn't make it take any quicker. <laughs> and it's another one of those. It's part of the propaganda as well, isn't it? That yeah. if you're not seeing those people as human, why would you give them nice, neat, proper? I mean, it's very sweet that you think that you would you know justify each person with a proper burial like you say yeah. um i think i don't think the the watchtower's thinking in those terms no. you know uh, basically anybody who dies at armageddon deserves to die and therefore you know they don't they're not favored by god at all <laughs> um mm -hmm. so you wouldn't give them anything you know <laughs> any proper burial like you say you bulldoze them wouldn't you yeah. Which is, you're talking about the kind of imagery that you saw, you know, in Nazi Germany of the 40s. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this is yeah. what, unfortunately, as yeah. witnesses, you are signing up to be. It's yeah. frightening when you think about it in those terms. Yeah, that's a very, very interesting parallel, which was also in the book as well. Um, and yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And this, this is the thing. Jehovah's Witnesses feel that they are all about love. Everything they do is motivated by love. The preaching work is motivated by love. Even Armageddon itself is motivated by love, love of righteous people who want to live in peace. But it's anything but. Because to think of other human beings who don't share your faith in such a callous way you know, it's basically dehumanizing them. It's reducing them to, to, to nothing. And we all know when we look at history where that kind of attitude leads. Yeah, um, exactly. So 
Yeah, it is frightening when you think of any terms of genocide, you know, how you dehumanize the the others, basically. And that yeah. is exactly what um, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses do, with, especially when it comes to religions that are quite different from Christianity. You know, uh, I know Witnesses have quite the, you know, distrust of Catholics, yeah. Um, but I think there's even more of a distrust of, you know, like Jamaican religions, you know, or, you know, the Middle Eastern religions, um, of, especially of like of, of Muslims, you know, um, it's just not, it, it, it creates an us and them. Yes. Uh, and that's very dangerous. It's, that's a very dangerous place to go. Um, I just don't, I just hope the witnesses, as things perhaps get a little bit, more difficult for them as a as an organization that they don't start pushing that agenda more mm, mm, yeah yeah absolutely um let's just take one more question before moving on apostate babe linda james says i disagreed with anthony morris's statements of not needing doctors in the new system when people get hurt when building homes and when we need doctors for childbirth that's a very very interesting point Again, it's another thing that you, I think this is one thing I kind of thought about when I was when I was a witness. You know, what if somebody was chopped in two? Yeah. <laughs> you know, if somebody gets sliced in two, you know, how do they get how how do they live forever? You know, there are mm -hmm. just some things that you can't really do. Exactly. <laughs> or do they get resurrected? I suppose they'd say you get resurrected into a different body, wouldn't it? Wouldn't they? I suppose that's what they would say. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, so many plot holes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they're fun. They're fun. These plot holes are fun to play with. And that's why yes. I loved playing with these little plot holes and, and going and seeing where they could possibly go and why you would do this and why you would do that and why we don't think uh, about the different scenarios. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've got like a starfish. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I remember asking, um, after reading that scripture about pain will be no more. So, so if you like, you know, prick your finger on a, on a thorn bush, will it not hurt? And it was explained to me that that's just part of your nervous system. So that kind of pain will always be there. But then I said, well, what about accidents? And um, it was explained to me that there won't be any accidents because everyone will be perfect. Nobody will have any accidents. But when you really think it through, accidents aren't always down to somebody's fault. Sometimes an accident can be because you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, so like say if uh, somebody's swimming in the sea and they step on a sea urchin, that's not necessarily a, a result of being imperfect. You know, so what would happen in that case? Would Jehovah like use his Holy Spirit to divert people away from danger on a daily basis, you know, so that they won't need a doctor or you, you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, there's also a part in the book as well where I, what happens when you decide that somebody is wrong and should be punished and how mm. do you punish them? And if they're perfect and they don't die, how do you make sure, how, how, yeah. what kind of punishment would they have to put somebody through 
under those circumstances as well. It's the more you think about it, the more horrifying some of the things that, yeah, uh, some of the workings of paradise and Armageddon and everything. Uh, yeah, it becomes very disturbing when you take it to its full possible ending. Exactly. I, mean, I actually did think about that as a witness. I thought to myself, so in a new system, when we're all perfect, and this is something you touched on in the book as well, we'll all still have free will because apparently from what we've been taught, Jehovah values our free will. He respects you know, our free will and it's not something that he would want to take away. So that means that in a new system, if somebody wanted to rebel against Jehovah, they would have the free will to do so. Just as in the beginning, Adam and Eve were perfect and Satan was perfect, but they chose to go against Jehovah. So what's to stop that from happening again in the new system? And if it does happen again, what makes that system any different from this one? You know, and what will happen to people who choose to go against Jehovah in, in the new system? You know, all, all, all of these questions, are, again, they're, they're, they're plot holes that you're just that I just aren't discussed in, in the Jehovah's Witness world. I, I, I find the concept of the Jehovah's Witnesses and free will fascinating. Um, mm. Jehovah's Witnesses are an American uh, evangelist church. And of course, they will at their core, because they are American, carry the torch of freedom because mm. that's part of the American way, isn't it? It's part yeah. of the American psychology. And yet, if you read the Bible, I think personally that the story of Genesis is about free will being the evil that is introduced into the Garden of Eden. It is free mm. will that turns. If anything, we're not as Christians, we're not supposed to exercise free will. To be perfect is to get rid of our free will and to become automatons. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's really what the story of the Bible is about, is actually that free will is, is Satan's idea. It's Satan's introduction. And the perfect world will be to remove free will at the end, basically, and to give, put us back as animals, as we're... we're supposed to be <laughs> i think that's the story of the bible is the way i think i see it anyway yeah that, that's a, that's a really interesting perspective i mean i know my perspective of the whole um fall of man stock account in genesis has definitely changed since you know no longer being a witness and i, I kind of see the role that satan played in that in a very very different light mm. You know, we were always told that uh, Satan was a liar. He told the first lie. He deceived Eve. So he says to Eve, if you eat, the, um, God doesn't want you to eat the fruit because he knows if you eat it, you'll become like him, knowing good and bad. And then what does Jehovah say as soon as they eat the fruit? Now they like us and they know good and bad. So we're like, where was the lie that Satan told them? Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it seems that, that, that Jehovah's reaction backed up what, what Satan's initial claim was. Yeah. The, the Bible just doesn't make, there's so many things that the Bible doesn't make any sense. And yet to us, it did. And I wondered yeah. how it made sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So getting on towards the end of the book now, 
um, when I was reading it, before I got to the end, I thought to myself, okay, there's there's a couple of ways that this can progress. There's a couple of ways that this this story can end. Ultimately, it ended in a way that I wouldn't quite call it a happy ending, but it was it was a positive ending for the main character. Can you talk us through what your your process was in deciding to end it that way? Uh, I think it was. I think it was more a question of reality. Um, I think, I think, uh, with, without giving everything away, without I think people need to read the book to figure out what yeah. the ending is. Um, but I didn't. I, I want it still to be based in some reality rather than going off into some crazy fiction world that was hard to figure out where it was going. Right. Um, so I, I wanted some reality back in there. Um, so yeah, that's that. That's the reason I went the way I, I did, and also as well, it's a bit like um, uh, you know the Grace book, um, Defense of Grace. That I think I wanted to give some hope um, as well. Um, it's it. <laughs> I know it again. It's the American way of always putting a happy ending on things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it it's soul destroying. I think to just the reality is soul destroying enough. You know, um, yeah. I think to to put some uplift on there, I think is something that's probably desperately needed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but I, I did enjoy the book. I did enjoy the the you know the way that the story progressed and all of the things that you know I could very very much identify with and i think that anyone who reads that book would would have a similar experience yeah so viewers links to the book in the description the 1975 apocalypse i highly recommend it um so let's wrap up by taking a few more um comments please producer bob apostate babe linda james uh, oh, I think this is a reply to another person in the chat. I remember being taught that there will be a resurrection for the just good people and the unjust bad people. So why would those you choose not to be in the new system? So why would those you choose? Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm not sure I'm reading that right. So why would you, why would those you choose not be in the new system? Yeah, so that whole that's, that's something that my eyes have only been open to recently, how ridiculous it is that there's going to be a resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. Because the unrighteous who are resurrected, they're under no obligation to fall in line with this new system. No. You know, they could be running around doing whatever they like, committing crimes, and then the new system is just as bad as the old one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and... You know, um, Satan's only going to be destroyed after 1,000 years. So you, so you could potentially have 1,000 years of the new system with witnesses being in the minority just like they are now. Maybe that's where the witnesses might go next. Maybe they might say, actually, we're already living in the millennial, you know, 1,000 years, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And everybody's been resurrected into the bodies of the unjust. Yeah, <laughs> that could be the new, the new, new life. <laughs> Some yeah. way. 
<laughs> and uh, J Wallaby seven eight nine. It is funny how they justify the cruelty of God in the Old Testament, but don't think harder about the thousands of men, women, and children being devoured by birds after Armageddon. It's appalling. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think there's this there's a very under the surface callousness that witnesses have that they don't even realize they have because yeah. they're just numb. They're, they're numb to all of this. You know, they're numb to the realization of all of this. It's it again. I hate to go back to the Nazis of the 40s, but you get all those people who were good people who were part of the German uh, society who knew things were going on but they didn't want to see what was blatantly yeah. in front of them. Um, yeah. And there is a very similar thing that happens with the witnesses. You know, it's sometimes to say, to carry on being a witness is to be guilty by association. Um, mm -hmm. And although I love everybody, and although I love everybody, because everybody's got the potential of coming out from the Jehovah's Witnesses and seeing it for what it is um there is a certain amount where yeah you are guilty if you're in that society you are guilty by association yeah yeah absolutely absolutely uh, any more comments rc just bought both of johnny's books on kindle they are very reasonably priced there you go very reasonably priced well viewers so get them on kindle <laughs> I purposely try not to make any money from them because to me, yeah. the message is so much more important than anything else. So I basically set it at the lowest price that I can. Yeah, that, that's very admirable of you. Uh, any more? Right, it always seems like God arranges for the possibility of corruption after a thousand <laughs> years. There is Satan that loose again with the huge number of apparently sinful and wicked, perfect people. Yeah. It's not a very good God. plan, is it? <laughs> it's not. And it's supposed to be the supreme being who's, you know, perfectly wise, and, you know, to come up with this convoluted system for redemption that is full of plot holes and makes no sense. I mean, it's because it's man-made, that's why. Yes. And then once yeah. again, I mean, it's something that I've been thinking a lot of recently is the obvious question of, why is all this cryptic in the Bible? Why isn't it just, you know, yeah, people of the first century uh, Rome in Rome wouldn't understand, you know, the dribblings of a madman talking about, you know, post-Armageddon or, you know, how Armageddon's going to happen and the signs and everything that lead up to it. But then Revelation isn't exactly straightforward to read, is it? So why on earth did God just not write down, this is what's going to happen, this is how it's going to happen? Why does it have to be cryptic? And why do only a few people have to find it out? It exactly. doesn't I mean, make any Jehovah sense. God, no, it doesn't. If Jehovah's God is perfect, he should also be a perfect communicator. So he should be able to communicate his message in a way that would be completely unambiguous, yep. that everybody should understand, not yep. everyone should be able to interpret it in their own way. And then, you know, everyone has their own different interpretation and they argue and fight about it all the live long day. It's just, yep. you know, 
Okay, and let's take one final comment before we wrap up. Henry Gilroy, I remember during uh, going out in service, the elder would point out houses in fancy neighborhoods and let us choose which ones we wanted <laughs> after Armageddon. Yeah, I've heard about that before. I've heard it. I'm, I, I've never witnessed it myself personally, but I have heard of, of witnesses doing that, and it's it's appalling. It's appalling. You know, these are human beings, living, breathing human beings in their house, and you're thinking about what you're going to do with your, their possessions when they're dead. <laughs> again, doesn't it ring of the Nazis again? Yeah. You know, yeah. when they used to oust the Jews from their homes and then yeah. everybody would be fighting over who's going to have that, you know, those houses. It's yeah. just, yeah, uh, the parallels are quite frightening sometimes. They are. they are frightening. But I think it's very, very important that we speak about those things. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's something that I found very refreshing. That you, you know, you were brave enough to address them in your book. It's very good. So thank you. thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me this evening, Donnie. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been fantastic. Thank you. So, and I've got the T-shirt and I've got the mug as well. You've got to get thank the mug. You again. Very well. <laughs> that T-shirt looks exceptionally good on you. And thank you, viewers, for watching. Um, as I said, links to Johnny's book and Johnny's website are in the description below. Um, please read Johnny's books. I mean, I highly recommend anybody to read it. It's very, very enlightening. Whether you're awake or not, whether you're a former or current Jehovah's Witness, it makes for really, really gripping and interesting reading. So please check those out. So thanks again for joining me. Please proceed to the Jexit in an orderly fashion, and I'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much for watching to the very end of the video. If you haven't already done so, please like, leave a comment and subscribe to the channel. If you like my work and want to help me continue doing it, please support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash jexit underscore 2020.